I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the first of the COVID vaccines is being rolled out around Australia. Will it get the country back to normal? Will people take it? And what of the future of international travel? Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Thanks, mate. Let's go. Uh, I've just got a photograph here, which I said we, we would give to the 95-year-old Shirley in uh, New Zealand. So oh, yeah. There were you sitting at your desk uh, recording this podcast. Oh, here um, we are. Uh, surrounded by all of the things that you like, your books and... Uh, what's this, Hinch versus Canberra? Hmm? That was after... You had a bit of weight there too, Darren. Had a bit of weight that, on. That, that photograph, yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've lost a fair bit since then. Where was that photograph that taken, was taken, by the way? That was taken, if you look on the cover of the book, the Hinch versus Canberra, it's an old, run-down old railway uh, station yeah. just uh, out near the Langy Cow Cow Jail. Oh, OK. And an old disused rail track, and, uh, and uh, the photographer... Natasha Chadwick said to me, get up on the railway line. I said, nah, nah, nah. She said, just get up and walk up there for a minute. Promise you, it'll be good. So I got up and I walked along. There I am, my buddy, like like, like um, the man in black, you know, striding along. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, <laughs> all, all alone on an old railway line. So that was it, yeah. Minus the, uh, the guitar. Uh, Darren, we're going to talk about uh, travelling around the world, uh, you know, in, in post uh, COVID yeah. uh, universe, uh, I guess. Can you believe the, the havoc that COVID has wreaked around the world? Well, in, 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 in lot, I mean, half a million Americans have died. Um, two million people around the world have died. So it's wreaked havoc in families, but also wreaked havoc with all, all economies, but probably known more so than with travel. Now, bring it close to home in Australia. Uh, you know, travel industry in Australia has been, has been absolutely crippled and understandably. I mean, airlines aren't flying anywhere much. Um, Things like Queensland, suddenly you found that you didn't have Melbourne people going to, Victorians going to Queensland for their holidays. You had people from Sydney not going to Queensland for their holidays. I, I wonder how and when it will all come back. I mean, we've heard gloom and doom. Uh, we've, we've seen Virgin Airlines go to the wall once. Um, I think Rex have been very brave trying to start up again in, in major cities. Uh, but I have to ask the question, will people be confident about travelling? Um, we've talked you know, the other day about unless you produce your little COVID passport, your vaccine vaccination passport, will they allow you on a plane? Will they allow you to go somewhere? Will you want to go somewhere? I mean, the fact that there's a now a South African uh, vein, uh, would you want to go to South Africa? So it, it's, I think it's people's heads a lot about whether you travel at all when we are allowed to. And there's no guarantee we're going to be allowed to travel much in, in the near future. Well, the way I envisage it in my mind is once once I get the vaccine, then I feel confident that I'm not going to die from getting uh, coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So if I go to a country like Italy that I like to go to every couple of years, and I want it to go every year, um, uh, I'm safe. So even though it might still be riddled with coronavirus because people 
or over there might not have got the vaccine as you know or people didn't want to get the vaccine it might still be in the community is what i'm trying to say people on the plane may have it i'm not going to die so it's just like getting a cold or something like that if it's like that and that's how i envisage it being i think travel will resume yeah. Well, yeah, you hope so. I mean, I, I, um, I wanted to go to New Zealand uh, for my sister's 80th birthday uh, on February one, and uh, couldn't go. And uh, I'd hope to go sometime this year. I know the the bubble has been lifted again, or been relaxed again, the Australian New Zealand bubble, and um, that'll be the yardstick, I think, for when we get to go other places. But uh, I, I've read stories of people saying that we won't be resuming flights from, say, Sydney or Melbourne to New York till 2022. Well, the US needs to vaccinate itself, doesn't mm. it? I mean, there's 300 million people there and, and, and the problem with the United States is people have their own free will mind. So <laughs> of all of the countries in the world where the vaccination rates might not be that high, I would say US... Well, you saw how many people flew around America on th- for Thanksgiving. It was just... Hundreds of thousands of them just didn't yeah. didn't, didn't care. So look, um, and I worry. You wonder how how um, you know travel agents have survived the past year because they've got no money coming in. You know. Well, I, I have a friend who's a, a travel agent, and uh, and he's he's had to get leave his office. So he had an office in Dandenong. This is a, a travel agency that's been going for uh, since nineteen seventy. So 50 years. It was given to him by his father-in-law. So he married into the family. The father-in-law ran it. Then he took over. 50 years they've been going. Uh, He's had to let go of his offices. He's working from home. He's dependent on JobKeeper at the moment. So unless they extend JobKeeper, he's going to have to let his staff go. Uh, And I said, you know, what sort of business are you doing? He's virtually doing nothing. The odd uh, case that they want to go overseas because it's an emergency or or something like that. That's that's what he's doing. Otherwise, no one's going anywhere. That's right. That's true. But um, um, I hate to be the dismal person here, but uh, JobKeeper won't keep going forever. Well, it can't. Yeah, they can't. I mean, they say the end of March, but uh, uh, I know there's a push to extend it. But look, I remember how things how things have changed, and the government has paid some money, like JobKeeper and stuff like that. I remember when I was in the Senate, I supported a move to try and get a an increase in in uh, New Start, an increase of seventy five dollars a fortnight, and we couldn't get it. We could not get support for it. You know. Well, it looks like... The, gre- the Greens were... Uh, looks like that's going to happen. Something will happen, yeah. yeah there's going to be an increase. Well, well, well you, you, you call it job start, do you? New start. It New called. start. Mm. It's basically the unemployment benefit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. By the way, have you ever been on an unemployment benefit, Darren, no, never, in your life? Never. No, I, I've never even either. Even when I've been out of work, uh, I haven't done it, you know, um, no, I haven't, and I, I, I'm not knocking people who have to because, as you say, without without that sort of support well, yeah. in the last year, there'd be people, there'd be more homeless than you could... The, the problem with unemployment benefit is, and it's a balance, isn't it? Because, I mean, I interviewed a lady who was the... Uh, she's the, the head of the Victorian Farmers Federation. Right. Now, these farms, they can't get workers to pick their fruit... They've had to get them from Pacific Island countries mm. and the Victorian government has only let a few in. So there's fruit on trees going rotten 
and mm. the the wage I think she said to me was like uh, the basic wage for doing that is twenty four dollars an hour, but it goes up if you do extra hours. So someone can earn themselves a thousand dollars a week. Now, if you've got no job. Uh, what's the problem with going into country Victoria where they give you accommodation as well and picking fruit? But, of course, if unemployment benefits almost match what you're going to earn, why would you bother doing that? Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, And that's the balance that has to be reached, isn't it? Uh, You need to give people the incentive to want to get off their backsides and work. Uh, But if it's too easy for them to sit at home and get unemployment benefits... um, I don't know. But, um. Anyway, back to travel. It's uh, it's going to be a huge thing to watch in, in the months ahead. Um, as I said, the New Zealand will be the sort of the litmus paper test as to for starters uh, because you want to be able to travel where you don't have to go into quarantine uh, when you get there or when you get home. You know, I mean, well, you that, that's a pain in the backside, yeah, isn't I mean, it? I mean, you go travel for two weeks and you've got to spend two weeks in either country in a hotel. That, that's a six-week trip. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's, uh, that's, no, that's going so, to work. No, so that all has to be lifted before before it gets any 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 semblance of, uh, of normality. How many airlines do you think are still going to be around? Very if, few. If this goes on. Um, government-owned ones will survive. You know, but uh, very few. I mean, look at Virgin was a good airline, and it was it was having trouble before COVID. Uh, but with COVID, it's uh, it's 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 just frightening. Um, I mean, you, you can't you can't you can't make a dollar if you're flying a plane half empty. Well, that's right, and I don't think you can keep planes on the ground for that long because they need to be made. That's right. So there's a cost in just having the plane sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, the thing is, apparently, I did read one story one day about how much maintenance has to be done just to keep a plane stationary, you know. And then it's the the pilots who obviously need to keep their hours going and they're always updating their their skills. So if they're not flying for a while, they can't just get into an aeroplane and start flying. Uh, They they need to prepare themselves for it. So it's a minefield, isn't it, uh, international travel cruising oh yeah have you ever been on a cruise i adore cruising yeah haven't been on enough i love it um and it's some of the things about against cruising i think are myths because i've loved it and i've been on um that one they call the the world it was like a like a it had streets they're actually streets and shops on this cruise ship the qe2 you're talking no 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 it's called the the uh, the residency i think the the, the oh, world i think i've seen a photograph of yeah. this huge huge thing and uh, and people it's like a traveling city uh, yeah people own own apartments on it right and then they have a vote once a year where it goes next year <laughs> Uh, and they, and so they pay a fortune to have this, and they'll decide, okay, next year we'll go to the Olympic Games in such and such a country, you know. And I, I was on it for a few days and had the most luxurious suite. And Tell me about that experience. Where oh, did, and then you, 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 you walk down like, like a little street and there's shops and things. And uh, uh, but I've, I've been on several. Um, where have I been? I've I've been to. Um, around the Pacific Islands. I've been up to Vietnam and parts of China. And I love cruising because you get on, a, get on a boat once and you only unpack once and you go through security once and then you leave your stuff on board. And when you get to a, another country, you just get off and go for a wander around then get back on again. And, and uh, I, I loved it. And, uh, and you, look, you don't have to um, 
it doesn't have to be um, Billy Butler's summer camp. You don't have to talk to everybody. I mean, I, I was, was with a partner and we, we stuck to ourselves mostly, you know. I think the danger is because, and this will change, with cruising will change, because they won't have the smorgasbord they used to have. They'll have to be more disciplined with restaurants because the germs you could spread, I suppose, through COVID aftermath, if you have all these... Because it, on most cruise ships, one of the joys is to eat day and night. You can go on and eat and drink whatever time you like, you know, and so you can put on weight very easily when you're out cruising. Well, you can walk home as well, you know, you just have to yeah. walk to your room so yeah. you don't need to get a car. Um, I've yeah, covered yeah. a lot of stories, though, Darren, where the, the I think it's called the Nora virus, the Nora virus, which is basically, you know, people get diarrhoea. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's the norovirus. And uh, when someone on a ship gets that... Everybody gets it. It goes through the whole ship. It's like we call it deli belly in the old old days. And I have visions of these ships coming back, you know, into Sydney Harbour with everybody with diarrhoea. (laughs) Well, look, some of the good things about it. Um, We used to get up reasonably early and go straight to the gym. And you get on a treadmill for 15 minutes, gazing out over the over the ocean. You know, it's just you, all you see is all you see is sea, and you're there just 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just to make you feel good. So when you went started eating big lunches, you didn't feel too guilty. Um, and I didn't take part in in, in in team games and team sports, but I'd, I'd go for a walk around the deck and stuff like that, and uh, do a lot of reading, you know, and a bit of writing. So. Well, I think it'd be nice, you know, sitting on the deck, looking out over the the water, uh, the motion of the boat. Uh, uh, most of them now have got such stabilisers; it doesn't worry. It's I mean, never affected. It doesn't no, affect me. No, I go fishing all the my, time. My, I mean, my first one affected me because I was on the MV Wanganella, which is a merchant vessel. I was coming from Wellington to Sydney over one of the worst passages of water in the world. And this was an old rust bucket that I think was retired a little while after we made the trip. And, boy, you got sick. (laughs) You tossed from one side of the boat to the other. I mean, it was just – it's a tiny – not a big boat and no stabilisers, and so you were thrown around and, boy – you you did get sick, did you? Oh, yeah, you fed the shark. Well, apparently when that happens, it gets into your brain and you associate it very quickly, and it's a very hard thing to break. Uh, oh, so years later, you still think, oh, oh I remember years that. Years later, your brain remembers. It remembers, yeah, and, I, I believe that. And you get seasick. You do get the, uh, you have sea legs a bit sometimes when you get off a little bit, but not anymore. The stabilisers on, on, on big boats now are pretty pretty good. You know, yeah, pretty well, good. I guess so. So I've read that uh, cruise ships are taking a lot of bookings for yeah. you know, years in advance. So what happened with cruise ships during COVID is not going to be something that's going to be long-lasting. I mean, yeah. it, it would have been a horror story if you were trapped on a, on a ship when, with passengers who did have COVID and they wouldn't let you land. That happened around the world. But it seems that it's not, not scaring people at all. So I, no, I'm a... I'm a big fan of cruise ships. I once even just took a cruise ship from uh, Sydney to Melbourne, you know, and it was lovely. You know, we just took a cruise ship down. Then when we moored down here, we could sit there and have dinner. And it's it's a beautiful uh, way to travel. Uh, you know, in the old days when you get on a ship and go to England and it 
take you, you know, five five weeks. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you could Robert Menzies could disappear. Or, you know, all he'd disappear the, for months. He'd go to what? He'd, he'd go take a boat, take a ship to England to European watch the cricket. Summer. He'd yeah, go to watch yeah. the cricket. You know? Meanwhile, Australia ran itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's it's a leisurely way of uh, travelling, really, isn't it? Uh, mm. It's uh, um, internal travel around Australia. I, I, I guess that's going to get a boost, isn't well, it? Well, um, people now saying, well, "I want to go on holidays. I'm not going overseas." So, internal is a good idea. Look, I, I've told you once before. I, uh, I got a Jayco van and uh, and went around the South Island, Southern South Island, New Zealand, around you know, and around Queenstown and places like that. And it was just magic, you know, Lake Wakatipu. So you like, just stopped wherever you wanted to sleep? You stopped and you'd, you'd pull, you'd pull your... You had everything in the van. You yeah, had every, every, you, had, every, you had a bathroom, you had a shower, you had a, you know, very comfortable. You just pull up alongside a lake and you'd pull out your little barbecue and you'd barbecue some fish or something and uh, and uh, sort of, sort of, yeah, it was beautiful. Well, that's got quite a bit of it. And beer. you could do that around here, around, around Australia. Australia would mm. be uh, would be one. I mean, imagine going out back, you know, Western Australia, up around uh, the Kimberleys and uh, the Ord River scheme and Kakadu and that sort of I've I've never done anything like that uh, to my to my regret. Can you drive one of those things? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I drove because I did, we'd planned that my partner at the time was Natasha. Our part, plan was she's an ex-cop and had done that, you know, safe driving tests and all those sorts of things. And she said, I'll drive, we'll, we'll get a Jayco and I'll drive it. We get to Christchurch Airport to pick it up and it's manual <laughs> and she can't drive a manual. So I have to drive the thing the whole way. And halfway through the trip, we went mountain bike riding and I fell off and fell down and broke my back and broke my knee and stuff. I'm still having to, with a broken back, I'm still driving. Double clutch. Yeah, the, and, uh, and, and and she, I was doing a double D clutch and every time I changed gear, that was my John Wayne moment because you went, <laughs> went straight through you. You know, you're just moving your arm and I have to get her to get out of the passenger seat and put the handbrake on and off because I didn't have enough power in my, it was too painful to pull it on. Pull the yeah, handbrake that, on. Yeah, that sounds like uh, quite <laughs> an experience. <laughs> oh, it was, but, but they're, they're pretty good to drive. You know, they're easy to turn and uh, good turning circles, etc. But that's a, a great way to great way to holiday. I've been to places like I've, I've never been up to the Kimberleys. I mean, I, we went to Ayers Rock, Uluru, uh, chasing Halley's Comet years ago. Paul Barber and Darren James and I did that one. And uh, as a senator, I visited a few places and down. Uh, southern parts of Western Australia and some uh, areas like that. But um, the idea, I think, of just of getting into a, a wagon and uh, and travelling around would be wonderful. Removing yourself from uh, from the day-to-day activities. Motorbikes, uh, Darren, a lot of people you know, get to a certain age, yeah, go through this midlife, midlife crisis. crisis. Yeah. Uh, are they ever... Interested? No, I've, I've ridden a motor. I've ridden motorbikes and fallen off them on my farm, an old farm bike chasing the sheep, and uh, gone over the handlebars. And and Jackie at Weaver had said to me, "Don't you ever ride the motorbike?" I said, "No, no, no." And I come back inside one day, and she said, "You've been on the bike." And I said, "How do you know?" The back of my jacket was all green from where I'd fallen off the bloody thing <laughs> and got grass stains all over my shoulders. But a friend of mine, actually Richard Ward, a doctor friend of mine. He, this midlife thing, he bought himself a Harley Davidson, right? I think it was. But it was hardly hardly a bikey buddy bike. I mean, he showed it to me 
It had the most beautifully padded seats, you know, and I think there's a little esky in the side pocket. And, oh, they're beautiful you know, machines. Yeah, I mean, you could. Yeah. Yeah, it was hardly getting on a motorbike and revving it up and roaring around. It was like you, you're an absolute comfort zone, you know. Well, I, uh, Shirley Hardy Ricks, who was uh, Frank Hardy's oh, yeah. daughter, and her husband, uh, Brian Ricks, who was a, a homicide squad detective, uh, they, uh, they've they travelled all over the world on a motorbike. Really? Uh, I think they went all the way up from the bottom of Patagonia up uh, South America. John Fain, also the ABC guy with his son, travelled from Australia to Europe on a motorbike. Uh, it's, um, yeah, look, I... Um, I uh Never appealed to me. It also the dangers of... of I mean, well, I mean, Bill Stalker, you remember him? Oh, yeah, very well. He's a friend of mine. The actor. The actor, cop shop. Cop shop actor. Mm. He died uh, he just died down the road. Just down the road here. He came off it late at night, yeah, in the rain. Um, the thing, I remember years ago when I was on AW, there was a big campaign saying, think bike, think bike, right? And they're meaning, in those days, they're meaning motorbikes, not not push bikes. And I remember going here saying, think bike, think car. I mean, you know, <laughs> if I was on a motorbike, I'd be very cautious about cars. And Ooh. if I was on a push bike, the thing that would scare me most, I'd be most alert about, would be people in cars opening the door as you're flying along and suddenly a driver get, doesn't look and opens the door and you plough into that. That would take you out very fast. That brings me to another topic, uh, driving around Melbourne. I don't know whether you've been driving much around. I don't drive at all anymore. No? No, I don't. I've sold my, I sold the Cadillac. I don't have a car anymore. Oh, you sold that beautiful old yeah. uh, black... Uh, Cadillac, yeah. That was a magnificent vehicle. The, the mob that. car, the mob boss, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. right. It looked like you'd just come yeah. out of 1950s New York. It did look car. like that, that's true. It was a beautiful machine. Was, yeah. there, there are bike lanes everywhere, mm. and they're reducing roads. So two-lane roads that were two lanes for cars have now been reduced to one lane. So, so cars are now having to, you know, but basically... They're, they're it's, pinching. It's, it's they're congested, pinching. yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen this, especially when I'm going down, going going into the city uh, on some of the main streets heading down down towards... Uh, yeah, well, I think William, William Street is one of the streets where they've reduced it down to one lane. Yeah. Basically, they've got a big tram area which they've raised. Yeah, and so by, by raising... This is, I've done that here in, 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 near where I live. By raising the, the tr- tram area, it means you can't even you can't ride drive by, there. You can't by, go behind the tram. I mean, no. you used to be able to go behind a tram and then pull over... Uh, and get to get past it, but now they've deliberately made this thing here, so it's it's cut the road back to a single lane. Yeah, so 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 basically, if you're in a car going anywhere near the city, it's mm. bumper to bumper all the time. Uh, there's a, a a free rain for trams, so mm. they don't get blocked, and then you've got bike lanes, bike lanes. now. Not everybody's going to ride a bike. No wonder people don't want to go into the city and go shopping. It's uh, it's horrendous traffic. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about all that? Well, look, I um, I, I'm a bit biased now because I said I, I don't I don't drive. I've still got a driver's license because if I go away from, I might have rent a car. But I uh, I use I use Uber and taxis all the time. Now my theory is, and if you can land base this. Um, Somebody once told me that even without the depreciation on your car, because you can't, when you're brand new on it, depreciates like a third the minute you drive it out of the yes. shop. But I read a story recently that the, they estimate that the average cost of a car a year for petrol and, and, and minor repairs is about $22,000. 
Would that be about right? Well, I think that's probably – it depends how much you, you I spend on that, it. Yeah. But I, I, I guess that it's, it's also – if you spend $40,000 on a car, it's what you can do with that $40,000. You put it into the car, but you could do something else with it. And you've got registration, uh, yeah, insurance, maintenance of it, that sort of stuff, and yeah. petrol. petrol. Oh, yes, that's probably – So yeah, I, I think the figure I saw was 22000 I thought, well, I can get a lot of taxis and Ubers for twenty two grand. Yeah, I guess so. Although Uber, you know, I heard someone – and ring up Neil Mitchell the other day saying he got an Uber to go to Pakenham and it was like $150. Oh, I mean, you've got to be careful. You though. have to be very, very careful. I'll give you – the man is right and this is where the Uber gets a bit uh, voracious at times. I mean, I will take a uh, an Uber from my place up to Turak, to Romeo's, on a Saturday, say, for lunch. And one day it'll cost me $15.00. Another day it'll cost me $25 and Saturday before last, around noon, with us because of the Australian Open was on and the cars were in the, although the, 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 the trip was $35. Oh. So here's a, a trip that has been, I've done for 15, it was 25 and then 35 and then. Yeah. The problem also with COVID is, do you want to be in a, an Uber car with someone. Well, yeah, but the thing sitting now, where some other, you know, yeah, who you, knows you, how many thousands yeah, of people have yeah, well, there. They, they have put in restrictions, like you have to wear a mask at all times and you have to agree to wear a mask and the driver wears a mask as well. So, yeah, that is that is a risk. That is a risk. Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. He uh, died recently, yes. 70-year-old guy, yeah. looked older than 70, mm. uh, talkback guy. Apparently he put AM radio back on the map in the United uh, look, States. I think, to give him credit, Rush Limbaugh was probably the original shock jock uh, when, before when the term was re- not really known. Uh, he was an ultra-conservative right-wing shithead, actually, and uh, I have not a not-kind word to say about him. But, uh, yes, he did live to 70. He looked much older and... Uh, yeah, he, uh, he he was given a medal by Donald Trump, Donald Trump uh, yeah. uh, last year uh, in a big you know when he, when he was delivering his State of the Union uh, address. Yeah. Uh, Look, but he had, I'll be honest, he had a he had a big following, he had a huge following. He uh, uh, and he, but he was outrageous at times. You know, he's, um, uh, he 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 ridiculed uh, Michael J. Fox. The mm. guy that I, th- I think he's got Parkinson's, Parkinson's Michael yeah. J. Fox, yeah. and, and obviously his body's jerking uncontrollably. And and uh, Michael J. Fox did this uh, advertisement on television where he, he was appealing to Congress to you know improve mm. uh, research and funding and all that sort of stuff. And he was jerking, and uh, Limbaugh uh, uh, mocked him, mocked his movements, and said he was putting it on to to to. To get more but sympathy. What would surprise, surprise you, Donald Trump, whom, whom he helped promote, uh, he mocked a, 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 a disabled man at one of his public rallies. He, he was a smoker. He smoked uh, cigars. Have you been a smoker at all? Uh, when I was a kid. Cigars? Uh, no, no, never. Um, when I was – two quick things on this. Um, I, was a, I was a teenage smoker because you want to look grown but luckily, in my first year as a journalist, I was—I um, shared my desk with a female reporter uh, named June Lipman, and she was such a, a smoker that she had a permanently stained upper lip, oh, and one yeah. eye sort of drooped from where yeah. she'd hanging out, fag had been hanging out of her mouth. You know? <laughs> and, and when you look above our our desk, there was a nicotine stain on the ceiling. So that's how much she smoked. You know. Anyway, 
uh, very early in my time, my first few months as a journo, one of the other, one, I offered to stop smoking for a month and one of the other journos was not drinking for a month. And we both did. He went back to drinking, I didn't get back to smoking. And, uh, and I, I became like a converted Christian. I became, I detested smoking. I, I banned smoking in my house in 1968. So even my parents couldn't come to my place and smoke inside. Because um, you can smell it everywhere. Yeah, and well, I just got sick of, you know, of, you know, you pick up your bath towel after a party and you'd smell like an ashtray. You know, well, you'd, you'd, go, you'd go to a, a, a disco in the 1970s and you could smell it everywhere. You just imagine when you, you you take your jacket off when you get home and hang it in the wardrobe, you still smell the nicotine, the smoke next day. Yeah. So I never did. I mean, I remember. Uh, having drinks with Robert Holmes, a court once. Um, he died very young from cancer. And yeah, he, he was a big cigar smoker. He was smoker. a big cigar smoker. But I remember him telling me once, and we were having a bit of a josh about it, that, oh, yeah, he smoked cigars, but he didn't inhale. I mean, it's a, it's a bit like President Clinton and marijuana. He didn't inhale. He died. He got throat cancer. I mean. No, no, well, he, he died of a heart attack. But he had Ro- cancer. Did he? Robert sure Holmes, he did. I'm sure he did. Well, all I know is. He I, did die suddenly, that's true. Yeah, well, I, re- I remember because uh, I was in the 3MP newsroom and it came through that uh, Robert Holmes Accord had died of cancer and died suddenly. And it was just after Kerry Packer had had his sudden. Uh, Remember, he had the heart attack and he had to be brought back to life. He oh, was playing yes. polo in Sydney. Yeah. And as a result of that, he, he made sure that every, every there were defibrillators all over uh, Sydney just in case. He, he, put uh, them, he put them in all the ambulances. They called them packer whackers. Yeah, that's right. Packer whackers. He, yeah. he spent several million dollars Correct. buying packer whackers Correct. for the Sydney because he, 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 he nearly carked it. He nearly carked it at, um, at, the, at playing polo, right? But a, an ambulance shows how flimsy life can be. An ambulance was just passing the ground when it happened, so they were within seconds of being there when it happened to him, and the ambulance had been out on a hoax call. So it wasn't even well, being yeah, diverted from another he, call. He would have been dead. He would have been dead. He, he yeah. would have been dead. And, and, of course, he famously said at that parlementary inquiry, I've been to the other side. <laughs> and I can tell you there ain't much <laughs> there, ain't is much, what ain't he much said. <laughs> Robert Holmes, of course, was only, uh, only 49 when he died. Uh, quite an amazing yeah. life. Yeah. And, of course, uh, I also uh, remember he, he bought his daughter, Catherine, the rights to Penny Lane, yeah. the Beatles song, and uh, that gave her heaps of money every year. Now, what happened? That was more than that. He didn't buy the rights. What happened was when he when he 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 was either buying or selling the, the, the record company or the, the music company, and somebody said it's a tradition. He got from from Michael Jackson, I think it was a company, and there's a tradition you gave somebody something, and what's his name, Jackson. He gave Jackson an Aboriginal painting, which he asked for, he liked, right? a little Aboriginal painting, and Jackson gave him the rights right? to Penny Lane. Oh, right. <laughs> so, well, there you go. What was he like, Robert Holmes, of course? Well, he, he was a sort of a hero of mine. He, he's like, fairly, he, was, he was, could be aloof, but I was talking to his wife one day and uh, she said, I saw you and Robert having a chat and getting on pretty well there the other day, earlier tonight. And I said, oh, yeah, I enjoyed his company. She said, well, he, he must have enjoyed yours. 
I said, why should I? Otherwise, he would have just stood there and stared at the ceiling. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, well, he didn't. <laughs> right. Right. What did you talk about? Do you remember? I can't remember. I can't remember. Uh, it's uh, yeah, an, an interesting bloke. Well, Mr. Hinch, right, uh, uh, thank you again for uh, your, your time. We shall talk soon. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.